Welcome to the Social Impact Pulse, a podcast where we aim to cultivate intimate conversations with entrepreneurs working at the intersection of the sustainable livelihoods and lifestyle sectors. Each episode is a no-filter conversation with entrepreneurs where we dig deep into the values they hold dear and how that molds and shapes the social impact they strive for through their organizations. In this episode, we are joined by Jenna Raquita, Head of Impact at Ethic Collective, a business that connects brilliant creators with the resources they need to sell high-quality items at scale and pave the way for companies to form ethical sourcing practices and meaningful product collaborations. We hear about how the organization got started, their focus on research and evaluation and their efforts to measure impact, their moments of accomplishment, and the legacy they'd like to leave behind. On with the show. My name is Jenna Rockwita, and I am the head of impact at Ethic. So Ethic works with artists and groups around the world and connects them to conscious companies in order to build sustainable livelihoods, to connect them to more consistent work. One of the biggest barriers among artists and groups worldwide is, which by the way, is the second largest employer within the developing world, is that they do not have access to consistent markets and their work is very inconsistent and unstable. And so by connecting them to companies who want to order at scale, they are able to have more consistent work. So my work at Ethic involves all things impact related. So I work to interview the artisans and write their stories through ethical storytelling. And I also work to gather impact numbers At the end of these orders that we place where they are making products for a company, then I'll go in and ask them about how many artisans were employed and how many products were made so that we can better market the impact of the order to the companies that they work with. Jenna, could you tell us a little more about how and when Ethic was founded? So Ethic was founded by Melissa Sebi, and she is the founder and CEO. She founded Ethic after over a decade of being within the fair trade space or with working with artisans around the globe. She first started with working with a group in Uganda, and this was after she went on, we'll call it a humanitarian trip to Uganda. And she was teaching hand washing and other skills. And and she had this moment where she was like, what am I doing? People need consistent work. And essentially this, this realization that I think many people within the international development realm, this conclusion that many people come to where it's like the locals within that community know best. And who am I to like come in and teach hand washing skills when what people really need is dignified and substantial work? So that is when she decided to start working with this organization or start up this organization in Uganda, where she worked with it started with about eight women in a borrowed garage stringing beads, and they would sell direct to consumer. And as she was working within the space for about a decade, she realized, you know, what artists and groups really need is consistent work. And that's not going to happen by 
selling directly to consumers and by fulfilling individual orders. Because Mabira at the time was eight women and the orders were pretty sparse, pretty spread out. And so eventually she started Ethic and the market that we focus on now is working with conscious companies and selling artisan products at scale. So connecting artisan groups to more consistent work. And the reason that we do that is because the main barrier within the artisan sector is not having that consistent work or not having that market access. And so by connecting artisan groups to at scale or larger orders, they're able to have more consistent work, which then increases their income and enables them to buy more livelihood assets. And we actually did a randomized control trial that I can talk more about when we get into talking more about the impact. Well, let's just dive right in. I'd love to hear more about that. How do you and how does ethic define impact? And how did you decide to land on the markers of success or indicators of impact? Yeah, so I would say first and foremost, I value impact as not only a buzzword, but as something that requires work. And I would say similarly, ethic cultivates impact by not only stating our desire to create an impact, but by taking the steps to actually measure it. And at Ethic, we work to create consistent work for artisan groups by connecting them to conscious companies who want to buy their products at scale. And I was brought on the team as the head of impact because of my values and those values that align with Ethic in that way, which includes not only providing fair and just work, but by ensuring that those work opportunities are actually increasing people's dignity and quality of life. So in order to measure this, recently we worked with a third-party evaluator to conduct a randomized control trial. And this randomized control trial was conducted in Uganda, and it showed that women who had consistent work for ethics handcraft orders over a six-month time period made three times their previous wages. And this was in comparison to the other women within the organization, which is called Mabira in Uganda. And it really showed and highlighted the importance of that consistent work. And these women that had consistent work over the time period of six months who were making three times their previous wage were able to invest in long-term livelihood assets such as stoves and bicycles and cows. And this really enabled them to be able to send their children to school and to provide nutritious meals and safe homes and to invest in themselves and their families. And Jenna, as so much of this work is about the investing in and looking at impact in the long run. I'm uh, curious about ethics plan to revisit or, or reassess what that impact looks like and how it is evolving. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, research and evaluation, a company really has to commit to it because it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of resources. And that's something that we've just determined as one of our values and something that we plan to regularly reassess and evaluate the outcomes of our company's work because it's one thing to state 
that our work is doing something and it's another thing to actually measure it. And so we are currently working with that third-party evaluator to figure out more research plans for the future. And one of them involves a wider scale randomized control trial that would not only involve the group that we work with in Uganda, but more groups to see the effects across the board of more consistent work. And something that's really cool is that because Melissa has worked in this space for so long and has worked really intimately with that group in Uganda called Mabira, she's worked with them for over a decade. And to see, so this is more anecdotally where she has seen this, a group that is working out of a barred garage. They started with eight women stringing beads, and now they are 300 plus women working on orders of 10,000 and 100,000 never, ever would have been possible beforehand. But because of that capacity building that we're able to engage with, because we're connecting these artisan groups with larger orders and ensuring that they're being paid fairly for their work, they're able to hire more women. And so we've seen that that consistent work leads to important outcomes with that randomized control trial. But even anecdotally, we've been able to see that these groups are growing and that something that we talk a lot lot about at Ethic is ensuring that we are able to keep these intimate relationships with these artists and groups. I think that's something really unique that we have that a lot of companies don't is that I am able to talk to these groups a lot and I talk to them and I know their stories. Same with Melissa, who's worked so intimately with a lot of these groups for so long, is that it's one thing to just have the research that proves that this is doing something. And another thing to be like, I know these people because they're my friends. And I remember Melissa talking about when these eight women started at Mabira, how a lot of them came in to this space And I've been able to conduct interviews with them about how they came in, a lot of them feeling like really hopeless, really, really just not knowing what to do about the future because a lot of them were single moms. A lot of them couldn't really provide for their children. And it was also frustrating because as they were single moms, like they couldn't take their children to work. Why handcraft work is so important for women within developing countries is because it allows them this flexibility and this space to have their children at work. A lot of them are working out of their homes. And so we've just seen these women go from this state where they feel kind of hopeless and lost to just really experiencing, I would say, joy and exuberance. And I think that's a huge part of our work at Ethic is not just like, it's not enough to provide consistent work for people to meet their basic needs. Like that's not what we're about. It's really about how do we provide consistent work so that people aren't just trying to meet their basic needs and can move past their basic needs to a place where they can really experience joy and where they can experience life and they don't have to constantly be in this state of stress where they're wondering where their next meal is going to come from. Because when you don't have that dignity and respect of 
of being fit, paid fairly, and you have to constantly wonder that, you don't have time to think about anything else. So how did the name Ethic Collective come about? Ethic is spelled E-T-H-I-K, and it encompasses that we believe in ethical standards and we believe in what those ethical standards and what ethical work and substantial work can can provide people. And so at Ethic, if I were to describe it, is at Ethic, we make it possible for socially conscious companies to source ethical products from artists and cooperatives around the world. Could you tell us about three top moments for Ethic over the years, some of those key accomplishments? And on a personal level for you, Jenna, and your role, what are your top three moments too? Yeah, definitely. I would say a top moment for Ethic was getting the results of the randomized control trial back that showed that women in Uganda who had that consistent work um, were earning three times their wages and were able to really and truly invest in their future and their families because it showed something that we already knew. And it was a way that we could say, this is having a substantial impact essentially. So something that was really exciting about that was that the third party evaluator who completed our research, they, after they had ran up the report, they had called us and they had expressed just how this was the largest and one of the most exciting effects that they personally had seen from a company. And that was really, I would say validating for us, but also just it was one of those moments where we were like, we knew, we knew that this was having an impact and it's, and we've seen that anecdotally and it's amazing to actually see it from the research that's being carried out and that we've invested in. Another favorite moment from my team was recently we went through a rebranding where we got together with a team of creatives and we outlined what we envisioned for a company And I think it was really amazing to see what our team came up with and the ideas that we were able to brainstorm and the ways that we were able to problem solve, because the, I would say that the respect that we have for each other and the passion that we hold for our work really enables us to think creatively and to hold space for other people's ideas, which leads to some pretty amazing outcomes. And being able to be involved in a process like that with such a new company was exciting because each idea and each voice is so vital in that stage and the systems that we're creating are being embedded into the very fabric of the company as it continues to grow. Third, I would say just the growth that we have been able to make within Even just the past year, I know that previously there were orders that were placed with artisan groups where we were kind of scrambling on our end. And this was in the beginning stages, kind of scrambling on our end to figure out how this worked as we were trying to create systems that worked and that lasted and were sustainable. And there was a moment and I luckily, very luckily, was not involved in this moment because I was hired on the team probably a couple months later. So very happy. But I've heard a lot about 
and have experienced the effects from what they have learned. And this was during a holiday order where there was a lot of scrambling, a lot of trying to figure out logistics. They hadn't set boundaries in ways that we now set boundaries with clients. Because in that moment, in order to not have the artisan groups take the hit from the boundaries that were not set, we took the hit because that's our priority and we're not going to have an artisan group suffer the the hit that was our fault. And so that was a really big growing opportunity for our team. And I remember when I had come onto the team that people were still reeling from that. Like it was this, this like really sensitive topic that no one wanted to talk about, but that everyone wanted to also feel validation for. And I, because of that, have seen the boundaries that we're able to place in order to protect artisan groups and also to protect ourselves. And the ways that we're able to communicate with clients and customers and artisan groups and and orders now have gone very smoothly. And so it's really impressive to see how those barriers and hurdles and those really tough moments can teach us a lot about what we don't want to do in the future. Um, I would say for me, some moments are my position allows me to communicate with artisan groups regularly and to interview them and write their stories. And one time I was talking to an artisan group leader in Rwanda and he expressed how his story has been taken advantage of by companies in the past who just really focused on the sad aspects of the story. And it was in a really exploitative way in order to sell his products. And during my discussion with this artisan group, I basically expressed ethics desire to honor consent and gave him the option to engage in the conversation and to have his story told at all and explain that this wouldn't impact our work with him and wouldn't impact whether or not we connected him to orders or yeah, just in general. And I think this really surprised him when for me and for my team, this fact felt so simple where it's your story and you get to decide if, how, and when it's told. And after interviewing him, I wrote his story and I sent it back to him. And I just felt really proud in that moment to be a part of a company that values ethical storytelling so much because and to have those values myself. And he expressed just how much he appreciated the way that his story was told and how it was done in an ethical and dignified way. Let's see what other instances. I would say right now we are working on the creation of a vetting tool at Ethic. And the reason that we're working on this tool, this tool is going to help us ensure ethical standards among our artists and partners. So we're working really closely with a university professor and a research assistant to create this vetting tool. And a lot of hours are going into it because we really value ensuring, like I said, our work 
I would say a big value for ethic is sincerity. And we really want to ensure that what we say is what we're doing. And so after looking into existing vetting tools and fair trade certifications, we found that they don't align with our artisan group's needs. And often they take a lot of time and they cost a lot of money for the group. And so because of that, it often acts more as a gatekeeper than a capacity builder. And because we value capacity building so much, I mean, I just talked about how one of our groups went from eight women working in a borrowed garage to 300 plus women. And that's not a rare experience with the groups that we work with. And so we really want to build upon existing capacities. And the creation of this vetting tool starting to create it and starting to work on that happened because we as a team really value asking ourselves if there's better ways to do things. And I brought up this idea and we have been running with it, which is really, really cool. And it's really empowering to have a team that values your ideas and values the things that you say and that is willing to invest time and resources into creating systems that are going to be beneficial. Uh, let's see, what is the last one for myself? Okay, I would say the last one has been when I'm able to meet the artisans that we work with in person. And it's more so just because it's a beautiful experience. I really appreciate the connection that it brings. And recently we were able to meet a group leader from Palestine who was able to come to Utah to be interviewed for one of the companies that we connected her with. And so we were also able to meet her in person. And I've had a lot of phone call conversations with her, a lot of texting back and forth. I'll text her about her daughter or not her daughter, her granddaughter. And she'll like text me to see how I'm doing over WhatsApp. But to meet her in person felt, I suppose it felt really simple and natural because it's like, oh, of course it would feel this way. We have this relationship with our artists and partners. And we took her to lunch and we just talked and chatted about life. And then the other experience was when I went to you or to Guatemala recently and was able to meet some of the artisans that we work with in a workshop there. And they were able to take me around and show me how they do what they do, which is just honestly just a beautiful experience that offers a lot of connection. So I would say that. And on the flip side of that, what is it that keeps you up at night? You mentioned a fail earlier. Uh, that was a great growth opportunity for the team. And uh, thinking more broadly, what are those things that keeps the team up at night? Like I said, we really question existing systems a lot. And we ask ourselves a lot of questions about if there's a better way to do things, a more compassionate way, a more efficient way. And like I said, the vetting tool was kind of born out of this realization. But I would say that as a company, we often ask ourselves, how to have and create systems that are sustainable with this in mind, with knowing that we want to create systems that not only work, but that last. 
And so we're constantly thinking about the growth and how to upkeep the growth that we experience in the coming months, in the coming years, in the coming decades, as we build these new systems and as we take on new clients. And recently, as we think about when to hire and how to hire and who to hire, I mean, one of my coworkers in a recent meeting essentially explained that a decision that or a question that our team or that leadership needs to grapple with is when hiring is, are you willing to let this person go? Because especially in startups, growth ebbs and flows. And there are periods where I can attest to this and my coworkers can attest to this, where it feels like we have more work than we're cut out for. And we're kind of sprinting, like we're taking on roles that could be other people's roles if we hired more people. But for all of those moments, there are moments where things are slower and because things ebb and flow. And we want growth that is sustainable. And that often means growth that is slower. And that often means putting up with moments that are hectic and more stressful because we don't want to grow faster than we have means to support And so, yeah, I think the question that probably keeps us up at night is how to do that and how to build these systems that last. Because like I said, there's a big difference between building systems that work and building systems that last. And that's something that we're constantly grappling with. Shifting gears a little If you had to write an obituary for ethic, what would you say? What is the legacy ethic is hoping to have? Um, hmm, If I had to write an obituary, I think personally, I want my legacy to be that I extended compassion and care to the people on this planet. And I think through my work with ethic, I'm really able to engage in work where that feels possible. And I get to engage with artisans and interview them and write their stories in order to market their products. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how to engage in storytelling that maintains dignity of the people in it while not shying away from honest and hard conversations surrounding poverty or inequality and other pressing global issues. And I would say that my hope for ethic is very similar in that, that we are known as a company that is sincere in our desire to connect and create an impact while engaging in those difficult conversations and challenging existing systems within the handmade sphere. Because I would say that that work leads to the most important work. And that's work that that leads to what I talked about, which is that joy and excitement and those human emotions that it enables people to feel when they are not constantly worried about when their next paycheck is coming or where it's coming from. I'm curious to know what ethic would do if you could be unreasonable and there was nothing holding you back. You've shared a lot about how thoughtful you are as a company, about the systems you develop for yourselves and your artisans with the goal of sustainability in mind. So what are the big dreams that ethic has? 
what would you be doing or or tackling next? <laughs> the thing is, is I think everyone at our company would have a different answer, which is why it takes a lot of collaboration to figure out where to go next and what steps to take next and what steps are going to be most sustainable. Because I would say for me, if there was nothing holding me back with monetary restraints, the work I engaged with would be impact related. And that's work I know that everybody on the team is also passionate about. And so I would say that I would probably work with third-party evaluators to conduct more randomized control trials simply because it's fun for me and because I love research and because I see Ethic as a company that really leans into impact by not only stating, hey, these are our goals and these are our aspirations, but by actually working towards measuring it and ensuring, again, that we are who we say we are. And so I would say probably that and taking time and spending resources to evaluate more often um, because that's so important. And it's just so cool because it essentially communicates, you know, this isn't just feel good work, but it's impactful work and there's a difference. And yeah, I would say if sky's the limit and I had no monetary restraints, I would just spend an obscene amount of time engaged in that work, which I know ethic really values, but also there are so many areas and things that we need to also spend our time on and spread our time between that are important to our work and to our impact. So unfortunately, it can't all be spent there, but... I really like that aspiration because there are so many demands for resources, particularly in this sector. And at the same time, there is so much scope to do so much more with and through research and evaluation as it can pay such great dividends, particularly when it comes to growth and raising funds for an organization. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Jenna. And as we wrap things up, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs in the social impact space? Yeah, that is a really good question. I would say, again, at Ethic, we really value reformation and challenging existing systems and asking ourselves, is there a better way to do this that's more productive, better for the environment, better for the people we work with, better for us? And sometimes I think we do things not because it's the best way to do things, but because It's simply the only way that it's typically done. It's the only way that we know. Um, It's kind of interwoven into our daily routines. And as we ask ourselves these questions, both individually and with teams, we can engage in very innovative thinking. And I also think that when we ask ourselves these questions, failure isn't really a part of the conversation because... Our systems are living and there's no iterations that are too many iterations because there is always a possibility that there is a more efficient, a more compassionate way to do something than what we're currently doing. And as a team, we ask these questions all the time. And this question has led to 
a four and a half day work week. And it's led to the creation of our vetting tool or working towards the creation of our vetting tool to ensure those ethical standards among our artists and partners. And most recently, we're looking into the very structure of how ethic operates. So my advice would be to lean into those questions and have the ability to reform the current ways that you do things. Yeah, I would say that work takes up a lot of our time. And so if you can find something to do that fuels yourself, the people around you and the planet in any capacity, I think that it's worth it to put in the work to make that happen. And there's ways to create that and embed impact into your work as a company without it being the sole purpose of your work. And I would say a little plug is that one of the ways to do that is by connecting with Epic. Many thanks for listening to this episode of the Social Impact Pulse. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your feedback and feel free to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, do check out our promo created especially for this episode. The Social Impact Pulse is a project of the Artisan Gateway.